So what is a lobbyist, you ask? Actually, I ask a real lobbyist that same question. Her name, Becky Dansky, in Washington, D.C. In the first of three episodes of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, I interview Becky Dansky of the Safe and Responsible Banking Alliance. You'll find out what a lobbyist does and how you have to play politics in Washington, D.C. just to survive. Don't look now, but it's a whole new world of weed out there. Pot is flower, it's Bruce Banner and Blue Dream. You've got bongs and dabs, resin and shatter, vaping and edibles, new terms, new strains, and new ways to use cannabis sativa, the plant. Some just made with CBD, and hemp has minimal THC. There's sativa and indica strains, and 100 chemicals, all legal in 10 states for adult use. There's a lot to get to know. Get used to it, folks, because it's legal in the Bay State and it's not going away. Neither is In the Weeds with Jimmy Young next. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called Cannabis Sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. Becky, basically, you are a lobbyist, right? Yes. Now, as I'm driving over here, my one of the million DC cabs are telling me everybody on this block is a lobbyist. <laughs> is that accurate? Um, well, K Street does historically have the reputation of being where lobbyists are located. And you have to remember, this town has all types of lobbyists. When you say lobbyist, a lot of people picture, you know, backroom deals and, you know, bags full of money to campaigns. But there are also lobbyists who represent nonprofits. And that's what I did for most of my career was I worked for a series of national nonprofit organizations. And even they tend to have their offices either here on K Street or over on the hill, which is a little bit more convenient uh, if you're regularly going to meetings up there. I, as I found out, trying to schlep around <laughs> 15 pounds of equipment on a 75-degree day, which, by the way, I'm very happy that it's not as humid here right now because I know that will change. Um, Becky, what's a typical day like for you? Uh, well, is there, there ever, typi- I was no, say, is there, there a typical day? There is no typical day, but I can tell you some of the typical activities mm-hmm. that um, a lobbyist, and this is both on the state level and um, on the federal level. I did state legislative work where I did similar activities in Connecticut uh, as well as about 24 other states. But uh, in Congress, you know, it's a little bit more of people, there's a little bit more mystery to it. Um, I think because there, there's this perception of that. But in reality, it's very similar to the type of work that goes on in your capital, where uh, we are setting up meetings, we are trying to move legislation that we've identified as priorities for our member organization or for whoever it is that you represent. For us, so I can give you a, a, a quick overview of what the last six months have been. SARBA was an organization that we launched in January, mm-hmm. and we're a coalition of organizations including financial services and their associations as well as state and local uh, officials and governments. Um, we're basically a coalition of those who are interested in federal banking reform to create increased access for cannabis businesses, legal state cannabis businesses. And when we launched, we thought we'd have time to build a coalition. In reality, we got um, one of the first hearings that happened in the new Congress mm-hmm. was on the Safe Banking Act, yeah. which uh, 
we had an incredibly successful hearing, which translated into a month later having a fantastic bipartisan committee vote, mm-hmm. 45 to 15, with 11 Republicans joining, mm-hmm. which is not something that happens very often right now in Congress. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into those lines that are getting deeper and deeper in a moment, but yes, um, I understand that. And, um, and there are a lot of things that happen before those things happen. Um, there's helping staff to identify witnesses. There's helping to prepare the witnesses. There's helping to talk to staffers about what types of questions their offices might reach. You have to remember there are thousands of bills introduced in every Congress, and so... Uh, they do rely on people who have expertise in these fields who aren't on their staff to help with some of these things. And that's a role that we play. And also help with uh, the markup in terms of people wanting amendments drafted and needing help with that or uh, wanting to have negotiations about which amendments can go in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can assist in that. And then after that, and also counting votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really... At the end of the day, that's where we are right now in the process with SAFE. Uh, we are looking at potentially being on the House floor as soon as they come back from the Memorial Day recess. So potentially the first week in June, we could be on the floor with this bill. So right now what we're doing is working to see where the votes are and where we want to do some more work while we still have time. You're, you're doing attendance, and what uh, the Congressman Ed Perlmutter talked about was it sounds like 184 co-sponsors, mm-hmm. which are pretty much yeses, correct? Yeah. Once you co-sponsor a bill, it basically is a commitment to vote yes. It is very difficult for a member, unless the bill's content changes drastically, it's very difficult for someone to not support a bill that they've agreed to co-sponsor. Mm-hmm. So we consider those kind of absolute yeses. And he wants over 200 to send a message to the <laughs> Senate that the whole House, both sides of the aisle, <laughs> are for this Safe Baking Act, and I gotta, I'm going to put you right on the spot. Sure. Is this going to pass? I mean, I talked to Barney Frank in, at an uh, event in March at NECAN. Big thrill yeah. for me because he's from my district. Yeah. And I said, uh, are we going to see this? He goes, I really believe you're going to at least see the banking open up in 2019. Do you agree with that optimism? I do. If we all do what needs to be done, Mm -hmm. that's what I would say. In terms of where we are at the House vote, I think that getting 200 co-sponsors is a realistic goal. Mm -hmm. Right now, we have, um, I think we can safely say that we're over 250 yes votes. Mm -hmm. Um, The closer we can get that to 300, uh, the stronger our case when we turn to the Senate. Right. There are a number of Republicans who support this bill. There are two who have actually leaded the, led the charge on it, and that is Representative Stivers and Representative Davidson, both from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Neither of them support full legalization of marijuana for adult use, but they both say we have medical in our state. This is an issue in our state. This has nothing to do with your position on cannabis. Mm-hmm. This has to do with public safety. And, and, so, and that's where we're getting a lot of Republicans is they represent a state where this industry is operating already. Yep. And, uh, and they, they realize that the banking, whether or not you support it, the banking needs to be addressed. One of the things I have learned about politics in my short career as a, uh, I don't even know, a talk show host that, <laughs> that isn't concerned about ball strikes and who plays quarterback for who, um, is that in politics, politicians, each one of them has an agenda, and they want to attach amendments, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's that give and take, that quid pro quo kind of thing mm-hmm. back and forth. In, the, in a simple form, the Safe Banking Act, opening up the banks to the cannabis industry sounds simple. It mm-hmm. makes sense yeah. to those who are educated enough to understand the issues <laughs> out there. 
But how challenging will it be to just focus on that one item when you have other bills out there that are looking for total decriminalization sure. or legalization or descheduling, all the other ones that are also out on the floor? Sure. Is there a danger that they might be attached to this or will it stop sure. it? How does that work? Uh, that's a great question. And it is, there is a sense of this thing's moving, let's try and get everything in. But the problem is once you open it up to amendments, you risk the potential of uh, losing people on either side. If there are some things that we could add to this bill that would cost us some of the Republican votes, and there are some things we could add to this bill that would bring us Republican votes that would cost us some votes on the left. And so and at the end of the day, what most of the organizations supporting this legislation as well as leaders on it are saying is let's keep this clean. Let's get a, a straight up or down vote on it. Let's limit the amendments. Um, it's very helpful that Representative Promoter is on the Rules Committee mm -hmm. because they determine how the bill will be handled. Uh, and let's just stay focused on this. And, and they've been doing a great job of checking in with stakeholders, make sure everyone is okay with that strategy. And I know they'll continue to do that up to the moment that we come to the floor. And the other thing that we need to realize is this isn't our only shot. Right? It's not, we're not going to pass banking or safe. Specific, we're not even going to pass safe and be done with banking. Right. But we're going to pass safe. And then, as you mentioned, Barney Frank used to always say, give them an easy vote, let them go home and come back and then give them the next one. And this gives people a chance to, to dip their toe in and vote for something that has the word cannabis in it mm -hmm. and see that they didn't lose their seat over supporting access to cannabis banking for legal businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, and then maybe we can start to talk to them. In the meantime, there are other things that can happen in this Congress that are, would be considered huge progress, such as having hearings on decriminalization, having bills introduced that for the first time people are really going to actually bother to read, whereas it used to be you know, right. a chance of this is wonderful and I support it, but... No there chance. was no way that under the previous few speakers that they right. were ever going to go anywhere. And so now there's a real chance to have these conversations um, and build a record. The congressional record does not have much information in support of cannabis because uh, most of what our federal government has been doing on cannabis for a while now has been focused on the negatives. And this gives us a chance every hearing we have, every time somebody asks um, you know, Attorney General Barr, a question. We keep building the congressional on record on cannabis, and that is so important as you move forward. And this vote will also give us a sense of where we stand when we do start moving into some of those harder votes. Now, let's move forward and be optimistic and say the vote is there. That does not mean it is law yet. There's still a couple no. of more steps to go. Um, the next step beyond that would be to get it to the Senate floor, mm -hmm. and the Senate has an opportunity to put amendments on this thing too, yes? That's and then right. it would have to go back to the House again? Uh, so there are... <laughs> it's, it's like no wonder anything ever, never no, gets yeah, done here in Washington. On the, on the <laughs> one hand, you know, we have the, the schoolhouse rock, this is how a bill becomes a law. Okay. But that's not very accurate anymore, okay. um, and, and for over a decade that hasn't been held. It, it's been done when I first came to D.C. 20 years ago. We used to pass, you know, 11 different appropriations bills. Now mm -hmm. the budget becomes this monster mm -hmm. that um, lots of different things get rolled into, and that's where most legislation actually gets sent to the president these days as part of a larger package. So um, traditionally we would be looking at a situation where we pass it in the House and then we would turn our attention to the Senate. The Senate 
Unfortunately, the committee that has jurisdiction, there are two committees that could consider banking. One is judiciary, chaired by Senator Lindsey Graham, and the other is uh, the banking committee, which is chaired by uh, Senator Crapo. Mm-hmm. And he has, sorry, it's okay. he has one of he is one of the three states that does not even have a CBD law. Right. And so it makes it a little bit more difficult. Neither one of them has expressed that they are, are at this point planning to hold a hearing on these bills. But if they're the head of the committee and everybody else on the committee, and again, I'm stretching yeah. it here a little bit, says, we got to do this, yeah. is he still in a position to say no? At the end of the day, it is the chairman's prerogative. Yeah. If you do have a significant member of the majority party on the committee pushing a chair, then typically you will get it. Okay. Um, one of the other dynamics is the Senate works very differently from the House. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of horse trading, um, <laughs> and there are a lot of different factors in right. place. Mm-hmm. And some of them, you know, I, I, we can drive ourselves crazy imagining all of these, these uh, subplots. But it, it is something where, and, and unfortunately, when I took a look at the, when the Republicans released the, who was going to be on that committee, it was not good news for us on either one of those committees. We have maybe one or two supportive senators on those two committees. Meanwhile, we may actually have 60 votes in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while the idea of putting pressure on Crapo and Graham to get hearings is, is definitely worth the effort um, because we shouldn't just give up when somebody says, I'm not really interested. It is far more likely that this will end up as part of a larger package. And what one of the things we've been talking about is that potentially this could include something that would address the issues they're having with hemp, which we all know is an important issue to mm-hmm. Chairman McConnell. Aha. Uh, right. To Majority Leader McConnell. Right. So, um, so. There are so many different things. There are also maybe some people in his caucus who are saying, I don't want to vote on this before the election. There are some people in his caucus who are saying, please let me vote on this before. And uh, so my job as a lobbyist is to find all of the ways that we can pressure the committee chairs, that we can pressure the leader. Is it it pressure or education at this point? You know what? That's that's fair. I think it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, depending on your target. Education for this issue is so critical because so many of them really don't understand it um, until it's an issue that touches them personally or until their state has advanced on the Mm -hmm. issue. And so part of it is education, but sometimes just to get in the door requires pressure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where you have to start looking at those in the state who uh, have some type of influence over the member that can be calling. Or at the same time, you can alternatively look at the grassroots in that state. And, you know, it doesn't take much to make the phone ring off the hook. You know, if you get 20 constituents calling about an issue, Mm -hmm. that is something that makes an impression. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you have to work from grassroots, sometimes you work from grass tops. Interesting. God, I tell you... I started studying the cannabis industry a little over a year ago, March, okay, when I started this podcast. And then I started interviewing people in the business. And I am totally fascinated by how it works. It's democracy at its purest form. 
Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called Cannabis Sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. This podcast is produced by the Pro Cannabis Media Group out of Boston, Massachusetts, for the enjoyment and education of our audience. Any medical advice or opinions shared are not a reflection of the Pro Cannabis Media Management or any of the In the Weeds distributors, including CLNS Media and C Suite Network.